find Genesis chapter 15 as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis, looking at tonight's topic, dealing with the dark nights of the soul. Dealing with the dark nights of the soul. Genesis 15. Let's go ahead and uh, begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age... And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody here tonight who perhaps had childhood fears. Do you have any childhood fears, anybody? What were some of those? Monsters. I'm sorry? Darkness? Storms? 
storms, okay? Hmm? Drowning? Okay, okay. Monsters under your bed, right? Or in your closet? Something like that? I better move that. I'm going to stumble over it if I get to walking around. All kinds of fears that, that children commonly have. And we grow up and we look back on those and we realize how silly some of those childhood fears really were. But you know, there's more substantial fears that, that we would consider anything but silly or childish. People, people fear death. Some people fear living. Or they fear facing the day-to-day challenges of life. You know, sometimes even God's people are confronted with fears and doubts. We can have dark nights of the soul, wondering what tomorrow may bring. This hasn't been uncommon at all through history for God's people. During the Boxer Rebellion, the China Inland Mission suffered greatly. And its founder, J. Hudson Taylor, said to a friend, he said, I'm so fearful and paralyzed by it, I find that I can't read, I can't think. I'm finding it difficult to even pray. But one thing I am learning to do through it all more and more each day is to trust. Isaiah the prophet said, Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Well, we see tonight that uh, Abram is going through a dark moment. Some have referred to it as the dark night of his soul. Again, we've experienced things like this. Maybe you even went through some high point in your walk with God only to find that maybe weeks or months later, it's as though the heavens were silent. Maybe God was so real to you before and now you're wondering, where is God? Oftentimes we fear because we doubt that God will do what he says he'll do. And so maybe we struggle with that. Well, again, tonight we're going to see that, that Abram had some of these fears. And at a time like this in his life, he needed to rely on God's promises and he needed to see God's provision. Because it was going to be God's promises and God's provision that was going to carry him through. And you know, folks, we can always trust that God is going to do what he says he will do. Amen? First thing I want you to see with me tonight is in dark moments, trust God's provision. In dark moments, trust God's provision. Look again at verses 1 to 3. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. 
Verse 1 opens up by saying, after these things. Now what's, what's that referring to? What did we cover last week? What was the situation in the previous chapter? He had to go to battle against those kings that had captured Lot. Exactly. Four kings from the east had come and conquered the five kings from the Jordan Valley. And Lot was captured as a prisoner of war. And so Abram pursued after him, rescued him, and defeated those kings. What would Abram probably have been fearing at this point? Retaliation. Exactly. These kings are going to circle back around and get me now. They're going to regroup, maybe beef up their army, and come after me. Was that a legitimate fear? Probably so. And you know, I'm sure Abram felt very much alone in a distant land. He's still relatively new to this land. In the midst of Abram's fear, God appears to him in a vision. You see, the Bible tells us that back in these days, before uh, people had the canon of Scripture, the written Word of God, God would speak to people oftentimes through visions and dreams. Sometimes people today say, I wish God would speak to me that way. Folks, I can assure you, you do not want to trade what you have for what they had. Because what's the Bible say that we have? We have the Word of God. And the New Testament says, we have a more certain Word. Think of how much more of God's revelation we have than they had. We, we have the 66 books today of the canon, the canon of Scripture. And we've been able to see God's redemptive plan progress all the way up through the New Testament. The sending of the Messiah, the sending of the Holy Spirit. To the point that today, what are we waiting on? We're waiting on the return of Christ. We stand in such a better position today than anybody in the Old Testament could have ever even dreamed of. And you and I have our Bibles that we can get out every day and we can open up and we can read God's Word. They had to depend on these dreams and visions, hoping that one might come. And, you know, sometimes we, we turn the page in our Bible and we see that God spoke to somebody again and it looks to us like God spoke to them yesterday, spoke to them again today, and what we fail to realize sometimes between the turning of the page and our Bible, 15 years might have transpired. And the heavens were silent. And they didn't have a word from God. So again, I'm just simply saying, you don't want what they had. You've got something so much better. You've got the word of God. Folks, God speaks to us through His Word. And so all you need to do is open up your Bible and start reading. God speaks to Abram. 
God knew Abram's need. That shouldn't surprise us because who is he? He's sovereign God. David in Psalm 139 says, God, you know everything about me. You even know my thoughts from afar. Even before I have a thought, God, you know it. You know everything about me. In Isaiah 40, the prophet, the prophet asked, or God through the prophet, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? It's not hidden from the Lord. He knows all about you. He knew all about Abram. Abram did not need to fear God tells him here, Abram, I am going to be your shield. I will be a shield to you. Folks, what a great statement. I am your shield. What was a shield? A defense. A defense weapon, if you will. I think of the I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus gave. I am the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. I'm the resurrection and the life. All those I am statements that reveal something to us about the nature and the character of God. Well, here's a statement like that that is saying something about the nature and the character of God. He is going to be Abram's shield he is going to need uh, he is going to be abram's defense abram does not need to fear those kings coming back for that matter abram doesn't need to fear anything else because his life is in god's hands and god's going to look after him He went on to say, Abram, not only your shield, but I am your great reward. Another statement about the nature and character of God. And so Abram, he didn't need to fear enemies. He didn't need to fear provision either because God was going to look after him. God was going to be his reward and give him everything that he needed in his life. What has Abram just turned down that we looked at last week? The spoils from the battle that the king of Sodom was was going to offer to him. And and he didn't want it to be said, you've made Abram rich. And so he would not take that. He refused that. Because he knew that it could end up being too great of a compromise. And then what people would say. And so God is promising in him here, you don't need to worry about coming up with the short end of the stick about, you know, you turn down that offer. You may worry now that you're going to have everything that you need in your daily life. You're not going to miss out on anything because not only am I going to be your shield, I'm going to be your reward. I'm going to give you everything that you need in your life. God will provide for him. It's the Old Testament equivalent in some ways 
of Philippians 4.19. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now immediately upon hearing this, Abram begins asking some questions. God, if you're going to be my reward and you're going to provide for me, then what are you going to give me exactly? I mean, by this time already, Abram is, is rich. He's probably one of the wealthiest men of the land. And he's up in age. But what's the one thing he didn't have? He didn't have an heir. So God, how are you going to reward me at this advanced age? He thinks a servant in his household is going to end up being his heir. And and so in the big picture, after his life is over, it, it might appear like he doesn't really have much. He doesn't have a legacy to leave behind for somebody else. Not somebody that's actually, you know, his and Sarai's son. So he feels like his life's almost over. And, and when he's gone, when he's dead and buried, when Sarai's gone and she's dead and buried, what really is going to be the thing that they're going to be remembered for? And so we can see he's going through a, a little bit of discouragement. A little bit of darkness, a little bit of despair. It's really a question of significance, isn't it? When I'm gone, will will my life really have mattered? Am I really going to leave my mark on this world in any way that's going to be significant for anybody else? Or am I just going to be forgotten? Notice that God knows exactly what Abram desires. And God is going to do far more for Abram than Abram can even imagine. His provision for Abram is going to be priceless. Again, what's that tell us? That in our dark moments we can trust that God knows us and He is more than able to provide for us what we need. God knows our needs better than we do. Some of you have needs that have nothing to do with with money. There's other kinds of needs in your life. And if they are needs instead of greeds, then you can count on the fact that God is going to supply those. God's going to supply your needs. He may not do it in the way you expect. He may not do it in the timing that you expect. But He will do it. And so when we look at our lives as Christians, we need to trust God's provision. We need to trust God's provision. Second thing I want you to see tonight, in dark moments, trust God's word. Trust God's word. Pick up reading with me in verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
Just look at this promise in verse 4. The descendants of Abram will be like the stars. Now keep in mind, he doesn't... He and Sarah don't have a son yet. But your descendants are going to be like the stars. God promised he was going all the way back to chapter 12. What did God promise that he was going to make out of Abram? He was going to make a great nation out of him. Again, they don't even have one son yet. And God, now you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to just be a family man. I'm, there's going to be a great nation, my descendants? Seems impossible. Descendants that can't even be counted. God is reminding Abram that he has not forgotten his word, his promise to him. That promise that went all the way back to chapter 12. He's going to have his very own son. Folks, just because God's timing may be delayed in your life does not mean that God's promise is denied. Delay does not mean denial. So what was Abram going to have to do? He was going to have to trust God's word. God was going to bring everything to pass In his timing. Now I want you to notice how Abram responds. What's it say that he does? He believed God. The word believed is strong. It it means resting all of your securities. All of your future on God's word. He didn't have the realization of the promise yet. He had not seen it come to pass with his own eyes. All he had was God's word, but that was enough. That's all he needed at this point. If he knew the character of God, then he should know that God can be trusted. God's word can be counted on because of who God is. We serve a God who cannot lie. As Titus 1-2 says. In his dark moment, he needed to trust the Word of God. And that's exactly what he did. Now, I want to spend a little time on this today because it applies to us so much in a powerful way. This is a passage that means so much to us when it comes to salvation and the assurance of salvation. Genesis 15.6 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. If you like to memorize verses, which I hope you do, Genesis 15.6 is a good memory verse. The New Testament writers use it multiple times to illustrate that salvation is by faith and not by works. For instance, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, is trying to illustrate how we do not save ourselves by keeping the law or by being good. We are saved by trusting God and trusting His provision and believing His Word, His word about Christ I want you to think of the way the New Testament writers use this this verse right here 
Paul uses it, for instance, in Romans chapter 4 and then in Galatians chapter 3 also. And Paul uses this verse to present his argument that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. It's not through trusting in works of the law. God has given his son Jesus and he's promised that the one who looks to Christ and Christ alone for salvation will in fact be saved. On the other hand, the one who is trying to earn salvation or deserve salvation is going to miss salvation. And what Paul does is use Abraham right here as the key example in all that. The Jews look to Abraham as their spiritual father. And yet, they were trusting in the law. And so what does Paul do? Paul in Romans 4 brings up Abraham. Now, now why is it that Abraham would be such a powerful example to Jews who were trusting in the law? Why Abraham in Genesis 15, why would he be such a powerful example? It's before the law. Centuries before the law. Abraham's descendants have not even gone down to Egypt yet. They're not even in in bondage yet in Egypt. Moses hasn't been born. They've not been delivered. They've not gotten the Ten Commandments. They've not gotten any aspect of the law. Again, the law will be hundreds and hundreds of years away. And yet, before the law was given, Abraham, their spiritual father, the one that they looked to, believed God. That's why he was such a powerful example. And why he factored in so powerfully to Paul's argument in the book of Romans. Because in the book of Romans, for those first three chapters, Paul has been laying the foundation that salvation is not a result of the law. If salvation came as a result of the law, then the life of Abraham would be a a big problem. How could he have been justified? Because again, the law was not even given yet. But he believed God, and what did God do? God counted it unto him as righteousness. God imputed righteousness to Abraham's account. On what basis? On what basis? Faith. On the basis of faith. What Abram get out of this? Well, Genesis 15, 6 says, again, God credited unto him as righteousness. What's man's biggest need? Man's biggest need is for righteousness. When we think of what is our greatest need before God, it's righteousness. Because the scripture says without holiness no one will see the Lord. And yet I'm not holy on my own. You're not holy on your own. In our own strength and in our works we're not holy. 
We need a holiness that comes to us through faith in Christ. A holiness that God gives us. We need a righteousness that God gives us because the scripture says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We cannot supply on our own what we need in order to be justified before a holy God. And so if God doesn't do it, all of us are in deep, deep trouble. The good news is God has done it through Christ. And so Paul's argument is we need, to, we need to believe God's word and trust Christ. And Abram is the example of believing God and God imputing it to your account, account as righteousness. Now later on when Abram offered Isaac on the altar, James also uses Abram as an example. How does he use? He uses, he uses Abram a little different way than Paul did. How does he use him? Yes. The fact that when God said, offer your son, Abram did that. Demonstrate In Genesis 22, Abram is going to demonstrate that his faith back in Genesis 15 was real. Because when it came time to step out in faith and actually show that his, his faith was real, he obeyed. Genesis 22 didn't save Abram. Again, it just demonstrated that he was already saved, that he was already right with God. And so Paul and James both use this situation, this account of, of Abram in Genesis 15 to prove their point. Paul uses Abram to show that instead of works or law, you trust God. You believe Him. James uses Abram to show that if you say you believe God, then you need to follow Him. But again, the New Testament writers take three chapters, James 3, Romans 4, I mean Galatians 3, Romans 4, and James 2, to explain this one verse here in Genesis 15. That's why I say this is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Genesis uh, 15, 6 is, is kind of like the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament, Right? Believe God. If you're in the darkness, a darkness of your soul, because you know in your heart that you're separated from God and you're lost, what do you need to do? Trust God's Word. His Word about His Son. Believe. Come trusting. Believing. Like Abram, if you trust God's Word on this, repent of your sins and come to faith in Christ, you'll be saved. God will impute righteousness to your account. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't buy it. 
You just you need to believe. You say, Pastor, but, but you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's interesting how Paul in Romans 4 weaves King David into this whole discussion too. Because King David had committed his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, David says, You do not desire sacrifice or else I would have brought a sacrifice. David realized there was nothing that he could do to atone for his sin. And so what did he do? He cast himself on God's mercy and God's mercy alone. And so in Romans 4, Paul quotes David as saying, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David came to God on the basis of faith and faith alone. And because of that, he was forgiven. So what's Paul saying? David's another example. Just like Abram, David's an example. Trusting God. So again, what do you and I need to do? In dark moments of our soul, trust God's Word. Trust His provision. Trust His Word. Thirdly, in dark moments, trust God's covenant. His covenant that begins there in verse 7. In verse 8, we see... We see that even though Abram is a man of faith who believes God, yet he doesn't understand how in the world all of this is going to transpire. How in the world are his descendants going to possess the land? And so just like us, even though Abram trusts God, he's asking for confirmation. He's not asking out of skepticism. He's asking out of faith. He's essentially saying, God, I know you can do this. And God, I know you will do this. But I don't understand how you're going to do it. Will you show me something here? Give me something that I can wrap my head around. And so God does what Abram asked for. It just goes to show when we ask questions to God out out of faith, not out of doubt, but out of faith, God's not offended by those questions. He's big enough to handle them. Abram just simply wants to know how the land, the land that is now possessed by ten nations, how's that land going to be mine? So God does something here. It's referred to as cutting a covenant. Cutting a covenant. Parties in that day who reached agreements would kill animals, cut them in two, lay the two halves out with the pathway in between, and then they would walk, they would make the covenant with one another, and then they would walk between those animals. What was being communicated in cutting a covenant? What were they saying? If I break my promise, may I end up just like these animals. 
But folks, what happens here is really remarkable. Abram cuts the animals, lays them out according to God's instructions. But then when night falls, what happens to Abram? He falls into a deep sleep. Who passes between the animals here? Only one. Usually both parties did. But here only one. Only God. It was God making promises to Abram, not Abram to God. This was a covenant of grace whereby God and God alone is making promises. And what's being illustrated here is that this was not a work that depended on Abram in any way. It was not going to be 50% Abram and 50% God. It was going to be 100% God and Abram could, could believe God. And folks, what God is doing here is he's saying something about his character in this too. By God being the one walking between those animals. God's saying something about his character that he can be counted upon. He can be depended upon. Now, when we think about what God's... Uh, when we think about God's covenant with Abram, we may ask, why, if God was going to do this for Abram, then why was God going to send Abram's descendants down to Egypt for 400 years? What was the reason for that? The iniquity of the Amorite was not yet complete. You know, some people object to the way when Joshua, when Joshua and the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan and they were told to destroy the Canaanites, there's people who want to say something like, that's not fair. God had given the Amorite 400 years to repent. 400 years. And they had not. God gave them time. I think also going down to Egypt 400 years and being in bondage. What, what would that do in the hearts of Abraham's descendants? What would they long for? They'd long for freedom and for a land all their own, right? God was building character in them through what they went through, through their experiences. He was building character and fortitude. He was putting a, a hungering in their heart for God and to be free. God was doing all that. He was doing that in Abram's descendants. But again, he was giving the Amorite time. Folks, by the way, God also, let's be clear about something God would be perfectly fair if he didn't save anybody. Because who has, who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Everybody. 
Aren't you glad God doesn't give us what we deserve? Folk, again, folks, I want you to really let that sink in. If nobody was in heaven but the Trinity, if nobody was in heaven but the Trinity, if, if no human made it, God would be perfectly fair and perfectly just. The fact that even one is saved and one is there is called what? Grace. Grace. But again, he was giving them time to repent. They didn't. But, but what I want you to see concerning God's covenant with Abram is, is that despite the weight on Abram's part and on the part of his descendants, we've gone from God saying, Go, I will show thee the land, to I will give it to thee. Now in Genesis 15, he's saying, I have given it to your descendants. In other words, what's being communicated to us here? In the mind and the heart of God, it's as good as already done. It's as good as already done. Abram has not seen one bit. He, Isaac's nowhere on the scene yet. This nation, nowhere on the scene yet. But God says... I have given it to your descendants. It's as good as already done. If God says it, you can trust it. God's true to his promises. His people were not always faithful. I think how in the wilderness they rebelled against Moses. They wanted to go back to Egypt. God kept his end though. Despite what they did, he delivered them, brought them to the promised land. You see, again, think of cutting the covenant. Think what's going on when we, when we see how everything played out in the Old Testament story. The covenant was not based on the people. It was based on God. God brought it to pass. Yeah. Sure, as part of the Sure. How how a covenant is established. That Sure, absolutely. Yes. Amen. Well, God has made the new covenant of grace through the blood of Jesus Christ with us. Today, are we always faithful? No. We fail and we disappoint God. But to the one who has believed upon Christ... God is going to do everything He has.
has promised. He will bring it to pass. Romans 8 is a great commentary on this. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So Abram was in a dark night of his soul. And in that dark night, what did he have? He had the provision of God. The word of God. And the covenant of God. The provision of God, the word of God, and the covenant of God. He had everything he needed. Amen? Everything he needed. You and I have the same. You and I have the same. Trust Him. Come to Him by faith if you've not done so. Do you have fears in your life? He'll be your shield. And He'll be your great reward. He's able to take care of you. He's able to look after you. And He's able to take care of you. And He will finish what He starts. He always finishes what He starts. What Paul say to the Philippians in Philippians 1.6 I'm confident of this very thing that He who hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Great chapter in the Old Testament. Go back and study it some on your own.